Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Chump Talk. This is episode 190. I'm Brady. That's Maddie P. What's going on, Pulsey? Let's go. Uh, not a whole <laughs> lot. Pump for today's episode. The guest we got on today, uh-huh. absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Um, big, big week, too, for a big road trip for the Leafs. Uh, MLB offseason in full swing here. The Jays making some moves. So uh, it's it's been a, been a bit, pretty pretty good week for sports, I would say. Mm, we have for Sean. I, yeah. What? What were you no, going to say? Just for what I care for, you know, the Leafs and the Jays. Right. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, should say, Matty P comes over to my house for these interviews. Uh, so we're together right now. Um, separate rooms. We do them. It's, it's, we have a weird setup. Hopefully studio coming soon. But uh, Matty P comes over and falls asleep within two minutes. He was here, it feels like. It was, it was no, no more than five minutes. You were asleep on the couch. So are you good to go now? Like, are you, is your head yeah. in it? Oh, my head's absolutely, I honestly like, it's like night and day, like that five, 10 minute nap. I know you're just like, oh, now you're just going to fall asleep early tonight. But man, sometimes I tell you a quick little snooze after work. Sometimes it doesn't do much for you. It almost makes it worse. Yeah. But that was one of those ones that I just changed my, my mindset and the energy level in my body. Like I'm okay. ready to go. All right. Well, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for that. Yeah. I'm in the, I'm more so in the camp of the people that like hate napping. Like I hate napping because I, I just, never nap. I, I feel like shit after. And then I, I feel like I can't sleep as good at night, but I know a lot of people do like a, a good little snooze after work. And, and I, if it did it for you, then I'm happy, but I'm very excited about the interview. We haven't, we're interviewing him right after we're, we're done on this little this little 10 minute or so intro but sean mcmorrow we're not going to give away too much from the interview because we haven't done the interview yet but uh it's gonna i'm very excited to do it there's there's uh, lots to talk about with him he played for six ohl teams um played a game in the nhl with buffalo 250 something ahl games uh it went over to europe and played played in that quebec league the lnah we're going to get into all that with him but uh, get excited for this interview, and I think actually we'll just send it over to the interview now. We'll cause, because we there's we haven't actually done it yet, so I don't want to I don't want to say too much. So we're going to send it over to that, and then we'll uh, we'll chat with you guys a little bit after. Now here is Sean McMorrow. Today on the show, we are joined by professional former professional hockey player. After playing three years in the OHL, playing for six different teams, he made the jump to the American League where he would go on to play 245 games, racking up 1,161 penalty minutes in that time. With many other stops in his professional career, including a stint with the Buffalo Sabres, we are very excited to talk to Sean, the Sheriff McMorrow. Thanks for joining us, Sean. Welcome to Chump Talk. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really, really pumped up to be on your show. Yeah, we're really uh, excited to have you on today. Uh, first of all, just kind of uh, tell, tell us where you are now and kind of what you've been up to lately in the last month or a few weeks or whatever. Awesome. Well, um, right now, well, I currently do my recordings for my show from my mom's house. So I, I wanted to use all my all my top of the line equipment for your guys show because I'm so awesome. excited to be on it. Right. So so I'm at my mom's house right now, which is in Scarborough, Ontario. Um, and I am aspiring to get into the motivational speaking um, for this school year. So probably January is probably going to be where that's picking up a little bit. Um, of course, I have my show going on. So I'm, I'm doing about two recordings a week. And um, I'm just having a great time, guys, just networking and getting to meet people just like yourselves. Awesome. And well, we're, you got a pretty incredible story, which we're, we're for sure going to get to in this podcast. But why don't we start we're talking about your podcast a little bit. It's called The Sheriff. Uh, you have the nickname The Sheriff. We're going to get to that too. Um, 
but I was looking at some of the guests and I listened to a couple. Theo Fleury was your last one that just came out. You had Don Cherry on at one point, Darren McCarty, Brandon Prust, among other huge guests. So how's it been getting in the podcast game and getting to interview some of these guys? I'm sure you cross paths with over your career. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, guys, is it's a blessing. Like, it's a blessing to be able to do it, just like you guys know. Um, and it's also a blessing to be able to, like I was just mentioning, connect and network with the people that you meet doing the show, right? So, I mean, for me, what has it brought to my life? It's brought me closer to my family. You know, I'm, I'm working pretty closely, like, with my brother-in-law. Uh, he does a lot of the producing. You guys dealt with Danny. That's yeah. my brother-in-law, Danny Granger. He's also an artist at Danny Granger Art does incredible portraits for my guests and, and everything else that you can think of. Um, so it's brought us closer together. I, like I mentioned before, I do the recordings from my mom's house. So I get to spend some quality time uh, mm -hmm. where I grew up. And, uh, and in the meantime, I get to talk some sports and do what I'm really passionate about, which is entertain people and tell stories, right? So I plan on being a sports broadcaster. So I look at this as a running resume and I'm really excited to do it, guys, especially doing your show tonight. What's the story on, on how the podcast started for you? We, we kind of talked about it a little bit before we started recording here, uh, how it started for Brady and I. We were just kind of shooting the shit and then it just kind of turned into something that we didn't necessarily think it would. But just uh, like what was like the first episode for you kind of like, did you ever imagine where your podcast would be where it is today? Well, I mean, I always had an interest in doing something like this, right? And how it came about was I was a guest just like I am now on a show called Enforcer's Corner, where um, a gentleman named Kyle Warner, who is an American kid uh, based out of Philly, um, had, a, had a, a hockey enforcers podcast, right? Where he was pretty much getting like, you know, old AHL guys and he was a big AHL fan and, you know, really cool type of show. And we hit it off right away. We got along. I, I um, mentioned that, you know, that I was interested in doing something like this. And a couple days after our recording, you know, he hit me up to let me know when it was going to be released. And he's like, hey, dude, you know, do you ever think of joining forces with someone? You know, I, I'd be your guy. And I'd be like, well, in fact, I am. So we ended up joining forces. Uh, he said that, you know, he would take care of all the tech stuff. He'd be my co-host. Nice. I'd be the player. And, you know, we could we could use all our assets together to create a great show. And, you know, that's what we've done. And, you know, our goal is, like we were mentioning before, just trying to release the best content possible, be as entertaining as possible, and really get some good stories out there. Because I feel that my era in hockey has kind of been forgotten, which is kind of like the tough guy era. So guests that I get to have on that are kind of close to my age, guys like Brandon Sugden, you know, Mike Scroy, you know, guys like that, like I really appreciate it because we can kind of tell our stories from my era mm -hmm. of playing and um, having a great time doing it. Yeah, and Matt and I got had to miss a lot of that era kind of kind of get got out of the game a little bit as we were getting older but we saw the we saw the tail end of it for we sure we saw the cool or back in yeah, Cold Moore, Frazier yeah. McLaren. That, that's the, that's the, what I remember from the peak of the fighting, at least with the Leafs for sure. But I want to I want to get right to the start of your hockey career. So I uh, the term that gets thrown around a lot in in junior hockey now, when a guy plays on lots of different teams, is is suitcase. And I don't want to mean any disrespect by saying <laughs> that. But in in three years, six OHL teams for you. So just talk about the the OHL journey. You got to play Sarnia, Kitchener, Kingston, Mississauga, London, and Oshawa. So some pretty some pretty unreal uh, organizations too. So just talk about your OHL career a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, no, no. I mean the the, the six teams thing. I mean, you, you have to ask, right? That's a lot yeah, of yeah. for one player to be playing for. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. mean, pretty much the answer to it was my my second year in the league. I actually was on three teams in just the one season. Um, I was I was you know fortunate enough to 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 mix pass with the the legend Don Cherry. He owned um, the Mississauga Ice Dogs, right? And the only problem is that. The time that I was there, the team wasn't very good. Um, it was the year that Spezza got, got drafted second overall. He was trying to go first. And, you know, there was the big Spezza trade. And they ended up just trading everyone that year. And, they, and there were so many trades that as soon as they traded me to Kingston, I was traded to London two weeks later. So I feel that if I wasn't really involved with, with that team, that it would have been like kind of a, a more normal number of teams but (laughs) like you know playing for three teams in one year i mean that's obviously going to boost up your teams right yeah so yeah that happened and then (laughs) yeah i was drafted to sarnia uh mark hunter got fired at christmas time so i was (laughs) traded to the the great city of kitchener um where i really really had a great time got to play with guys like andrew peters Derek roy jimmy gagnon your hometown boy um you know it was a great time and then of course that was the year that that I was able to get drafted, right? So if it wasn't for Kitchener, yeah. if it wasn't where you guys are close yeah. to, I, I don't know if I would have yeah. got drafted or not, boys. There you go. And I should I should say, I probably wouldn't have uh, thrown up the term suitcase if I was talking to you in person. It's a little <laughs> intimidating to say to somebody that's nicknamed the Sheriff and once put up over 500 penalty minutes in a season. So uh, no disrespect by that comment from me, though. <laughs> no, bro, I don't, I don't take that disrespect at all. I know you guys are hockey guys and you guys are having a good time. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> How, uh, how challenging was it, though, just to be on the six teams throughout those only a couple of years? Like, obviously, yeah. every, every team has a different system, and especially when you're at such a young age trying to prove yourself as a potential future professional hockey player, just how, how challenging was that for you to have to kind of move around from team to team like that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely shouldn't downplay the fact that, that, it, that it was challenging because it definitely was. Um, I'm just kind of joking about it now, but – for one thing, I was lucky because the, the Hunter brothers, well, Mark Hunter in sp- specific was with me in Sarnia and London, right? And he was the one that drafted me to the league. And then him and Dale bought London and traded for me a couple of years later. So I was lucky enough to kind of be under their wing. Um, they always had what my best interests were. And that was part of the reason why I finished my career in Oshawa, because, you know, this is kind of a cool story. Um, Brian McGratton, was actually the guy in Oshawa and there was some kind of altercation where there was a, there was a desk that was flipped in the coach's office and (laughs) Brian, uh, as a result, you know, got traded to Owen sound. So Oshawa was looking for a guy that they were going to give third line ice to. They wanted to, uh, they needed a team tough guy and they wanted a guy in front of the net on the power play. So Mark Hunter's hearing this, knowing that I'm drafted by Buffalo, knowing that I'm only known as a fighter at this time. And he did me the blessing by trading me there. So I started to get some ice time. I started to put up some numbers. I got a hat trick against the Peterborough Peets, which uh, doubled my my goal total right away. And and yeah, and I kind of showed Buffalo that I could play. My big butt in front of the net, you know, I was able to cause some havoc. And, um, you know, the positives added up and I was able to sign my entry level. Right. So it's funny how it works. Like, that's why you should never, ever burn your bridges because you never know if you're going to be playing for the same guys or working for the same people down the road. And, you know, you always have to be on good terms. For sure. 
what age did you kind of realize that you would maybe have a, a potential career in hockey? Like, was it uh, 14, 15, kind of that young teenager age? And especially to be uh, drafted in the second round of the OHL as well. Like, like that's a huge, huge accomplishment. It's definitely got to be a huge confidence booster as well. Yeah, I mean, you said it right there, brother. Um, I think it was when I did get drafted to the OHL. That was when, you know, my family, you know, my friends, myself, like everyone was kind of like, so, you know, you're going to do something with this then looks, you know, you just got drafted, man. Like that, that, that's fantastic. Like, you know what I mean? And so I think at that point, um, I knew I was only a year away from the NHL draft and, you know, when it's that close and you've been doing, and that's been your dream your whole life, you know, you're definitely going to go for it. Right. So I, I think it was just a no brainer that I was going to go after I got drafted. And, you know, I, I moved to Sarnia, which is about three and a half hours from my hometown when I was 17. For sure. Um, before we move off the OHL, the OHL now, it's a lot different league than it was when, during the time you were playing. Is there, is there any off the ice stories that come to mind from your three years in the OHL that, that you wouldn't mind sharing? Anything, anything from any of the towns you played in, just maybe the travel or whatever it was? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I think the biggest difference is probably you know, the hazing and stuff like that. Because mm -hmm. what we learned as a society is that bullying just isn't good, no matter if it's for fun during sports or no matter if it's in school or on the street or wherever it is, right? So that's pretty much what the hazing was in the OHL. It was just big time bullying to the rookies, right? So I think that was the biggest difference is there used to be like big rookie parties, man, and they call them rookie parties. And pretty much what the, the whole... The whole point of the party was just to get the rookies as messed up as possible, just so they could embarrass <laughs> themselves. And, you know, like, and yeah. I don't, I don't, they're, I know they're definitely not allowed to do that anymore. I, I don't know if there maybe is secret ones that happen or whatever now, but I mean, that's probably the biggest difference. I, I remember the rookie parties that the, the rookie party I had in the OHL, the rookie party I had, you know, when I was in Rochester in the AHL and, and, you know, it was, it, they were pretty wild. And like, I, I, I don't think that stuff would, uh, would fly anymore. I don't think that'd be allowed. Right. One more uh, OHL question for you here. So we have a, we have a ton of OHL guys that have recently come on the pod in the last couple of years. One of the questions we usually ask them is, Basically, what's your favorite road arena? Like, what's your favorite place to play? Uh, recently, in the last couple of years, all the guys that we asked, the majority of the answers are London. So for you, where was the place to play back when you played in the OHL? Okay, well, uh, when, I, when I was in London and before that playing against London, it was the Ice House, right? So it was before the Labatt Center or whatever they call it now. Um, but saying that I, I think, I think I'm going to stick with the majority here, man. Like it was London, it was London and, and, and it was London because I had family that would come to the game. So it'd be like, really, I, I'd be really up for that, for that reason. Um, because of the, the size of the crowds, you know, that you were guaranteed to have. And the only other place that I could really imagine feeling more special playing in would be, um, that the, the arena that they had in Ottawa. That, that the Ottawa 67s were playing in at the time. Um, it, was, it was the arena that, I don't know if they still play there, the arena that the Senators were in before they went to their uh, new mm -hmm. arena. So this is like, this is 20 years ago, right? So yeah, yeah Ottawa and London, man, 100%. <laughs> 
moving on to moving on to your first year professional, which was 2002, 2003. So you played 64 games in Rochester that game that, that year, one, one game with the Sabres. We'll start with Rochester, uh, 64 games played 315 penalty minutes. So <laughs> obviously it's a, it's a huge jump going from the OHL straight to the AHL that next year you got, you got, you're playing against grown men all of a sudden, and you're still a young guy going in that league. Um, still putting up 315 penalty minutes though. Was that, was it kind of in your head? Like I got to fight pretty much every game I'm out here or how, how's that going on in your head? Well, I mean, to be honest, like when, once you get to the AHL and probably the coast too, they all have the stat packs. You start getting these stat packs. You, so you get to the rink, get to the dressing room and there's this, there's this pack that has all the league leaders in it. Right? So there's points, there's goals, assists, points, penalty minutes, fighting majors, Okay. Right. This is That's all, good. this would be all on the same page. Yeah. So from the beginning, I remember guys, like my, my first shift in the AHL was after a goal, it was probably halfway through the first period. And I line up against Rob Skurlak, who's an, just an all time AHL fighting legend. Right. The guy didn't play very much. He was just there to fight for Albany. He was there forever. And okay. I fought my first shift. So boom, I get, and then what happened was, is I think I, <laughs> I pulled like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen when Scott Parker fights Probert. It's his first fight that he, that time that he fights Probert. Well, he was one of okay. my guests. So we talked about this and okay. he was so excited to fight Probert that when Probert like buckles him, he just can't let go of him. He just refuses <laughs> to let go. And the refs are like, man, you got to let go. His teammates are like, Parksy, you got to let go. But he was just so into it that he just yeah. couldn't let go. It was kind of like that for me too. Like, Skurlak got me down and then I just kind of like I don't know just wanted to make sure that I was I when we got up I was the one that got up first so I think I like yeah. did some extra stuff they gave me a 10 so I had oh. 15 minutes and a fighting <laughs> wow. major one shift into my career and then, that- so I yeah I was leading the league at that point and then I just never wanted to lose that spot so yeah. I would always see McMorrow five fighting majors, rest of the league, like four, three, two, 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 like, and I never moved from that top spot for fighting go. majors. And as a rookie, it would be twice. Cause it'd be like rookie leaders, league leaders, yeah. McMorrow, nice. McMorrow. Right. <laughs> and I just, I was so competitive, man, that I just didn't want to lose that spot. Like all these guys were creeping up and I just make sure that, you know, I had another one that night and would stay ahead of them. And, and, and that's kind of how competitive guys are once they get on the leaderboards. Yeah. And what are the coaches, what are your coaches saying at that time? Is it just green light for you whenever you, whenever you want to go, you're, you're getting out there to go or are they tapping you on the shoulder? How's that going? Well, okay. So my coach, my head coach was Randy Cunningworth. Um, so, you know, hard nosed guy played in the NHL for a long time, total players coach. He loved the tough guys, right? It was me and Andrew Peters um, that were like the guys that would be in the lineup that would do that. And um this is the time, guys, that in the AHL, there was at least two guys on every roster that were willing to go, that were heavyweights. You know what I mean? Because every NHL team still had at least one slot, and then most of the AHL teams had, you know, two or three slots sometimes, right? So you didn't really have to go looking too far. Like, there was guys on the other side that were kind of licking their chops to, you know, contribute to their teams, right? So... Um, I got a tap a few times. I, I instigated a bunch and I, I got asked a bunch too. Like, like Brandon Sugden, every time we came on the ice, he would just say, are you ready? 
are you ready? Wow. And I'd be like, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Right. And, and then the, that, that was it. You know what yeah. I mean? And then boom. Yeah. And then, you know, we would get that done. And then I think for both of us, the anxiety would kind of go away because we put on a show already. We already fought. If it happens again, it happens again. But now we can just kind of concentrate on playing a little bit because mm. we've already fought. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. a lot of the AHL guys, probably some of the NHL guys looked at it like that. That's why you would see fights kind of more towards the beginning of the game, just because they're like, you know, I just want to get it get, in. Get it over with. Get it over with. You yeah. know what I mean? You yeah. know, set the tone. Like if you're doing yeah. it because you're at home and you feel good and you just want to set the tone. If you're doing it because you're on the road and you want to show the home team that you're here to play. There's all these different reasons, right, that, yeah. that guys would do it. And um, it's interesting because it doesn't happen as much, but I'm finding like, like I saw a fight from last night, um, New Jersey against Philly, I think. And yep. it was center ice and it yeah. was, man, they were chucking yeah. it, man. Zach, Zach McEwen and uh, some yeah, on New Jersey. Um, well, yeah, you, you mentioned Andrew Peters and I don't want to forget to say this because I was uh, doing some research today. And did you get in a fight with Andrew Peters who was on your team in training camp one year with the Buffalo Sabres? Oh yeah, no. Me and Petey, <laughs> me and Petey had multiple fights in training camp. Um, Petey and Bolton had multiple fights. Yeah. Bolton and Rob Ray had multiple fights. When it was Barnaby, May, and Ray, yeah. you know, twenty-five years, thirty yeah. years ago, there was dozens of fights. Like, yeah. like that's how it is. Like, like I've realized now with the guests that I have on my show, especially if it's an ex-tough guy, Reed Lowe, for example, was in St. Louis for a while. We spent about 20 minutes in the show, him telling me about all the guys that challenged him in, in NHL camps, like Yablonski <laughs> and all these guys that would come to camp. You know, they would challenge Reed Lowe, the one-man show, right? And, yeah. um, and he would have to, you know, like defend his title. Um, with me and Petey, we fought the year that Rob Ray was retired. He retired. And it was just Eric Bolton. And me and Petey knew that there was a spot for one of us. So right. we had to show what we could do. Yeah. Um, you know, Petey actually got hurt in one of the fights that we had. And that was the reason why I played so many preseason games that year. Like, I ended up playing, like, five out of the seven preseason games. So it's, it's interesting how it works. Right. Petey was older. He ended up making the team that year. Um, we're still buddies to this day. So wow. it's interesting nice. how it works. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm curious what you think of fighting in pro hockey now, because obviously uh, it's no secret that fighting is kind of an its way out. But... In, in many ways, I don't know, in, in my personal opinion, I, I still think fighting should be in the game in a way because that's kind of got how you, how you got to protect certain players or they're just going to start taking massive hits if they know they're not going to have to pay for anything. So I'm just kind of curious on uh, what you think of the development over pro hockey over the last 10, 15 years, just with fighting kind of being minimized every single year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's such a touchy subject, but, like, but the thing is, is that like, it needs to be talked about. It needs to be addressed. Um, obviously, as a guy that used to do it, I was disappointed to see it get grandfathered out. I would have rather seen them change the rules as far as like, you know, ideas of special insurance for guys that get fighting majors. Like, There's an idea that's been thrown out there you know, maybe on the Sheriff podcast that, that said, like, you know, let's say a player hits five fighting majors. Now he qualifies for a certain type of insurance because he's putting his body on the line more than his teammate beside him. 
why not protect the players more? Why not have there be like, you know, make, let there be like a UFC fighting coach on each NHL team to teach the guys how to punch properly so they don't break their hands, how to break a fall so they don't hurt themselves on the way down, how to make mm -hmm. sure they don't hit their head on the ice. Like, I would have loved to see those types of changes instead of just grandfathering out because you don't know what to do with it. I, I think there needs to be new leadership in the NHL. And I think that if there was meetings and you really were to ask the players, because it's really about the players, the NBA's made it about the players. So their league's mm -hmm. very successful. With hockey, I bet you that if you pulled all the NHL players, all 600 of them, they would all say, we want fighting in the game. Just protect them. Give them special insurance. Let us have a tough guy on each team. We love seeing it. We don't mm -hmm. want to do it. Let them do it. Those yeah. guys that are fighting now, they do not want to do it. I can guarantee you that. For I can sure. guarantee you they don't want to do it. Yeah. They missed the days that there was a guy sitting there that everyone knew that he was going to be the guy that did it. And that's why his teammates appreciated him so much, right? For I'm sure. telling you, they don't want to do that, man. They're no, all sure. so scared they're going to get hurt. They're yeah. making five, six million dollars a year. You think they yeah. want to break their hand? They don't want to no, do that, right? For sure. How did uh, how did you learn the craft of fighting? Um, for me, it was just kind of like I mean, I was always a big guy. Um, when I was drafted, I was six foot four, two twenty, right? Um, so I pretty much, you know, I like like tried it out. Was very successful at it, and then got a lot of confidence off of that, and just realized that this is kind of securing me a spot on every team I play on. Why not have that in my back pocket and just kind of went with it. Right. And then as soon as you get to the pro ranks, it's like, you know, more designated where, you know, this, you're the guy, you're the one that's going to be doing it. So don't yeah. expect other guys to step up before you. Right. So besides the fighting part of it, did you have any other like eye opening moments moving from junior hockey into pro hockey, just on how the, the game was played or just adjusting to the pro style? I think um, like, like when, when it comes to pro, it's interesting how much communication is important. Like if you go to a pro game, you'll notice that, you know, guys are like yelling, like here, here, open, open this way. Like well, whatever it is that they're saying, they're saying it right. Mm -hmm. Where if you go to like the younger, younger or lower levels, you don't hear it as much. So I think the communication was the biggest difference. And then once you kind of figure that out, then it's easier to play. And you're in that same season, you also played uh, one game for the Buffalo Sabres that year. Uh, you played it in Toronto there. Just kind of talk about what that entire day was like, what that experience was like playing in the NHL. It, and it would have been the, such an amazing day. But The phone call too, the phone yeah. call. Oh, like, uh, like the call up? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. No, the, the, no, and it's awesome. I appreciate you guys asking. Um, so, I mean, for me, like there's, there's, there's a couple different ways that like guys get called up. Like, you know, like, 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 like you, you get that phone call or whatever. Sometimes, um, a lot of the times when it's an AHL setting, um, the player will be told right after practice, like it'll be like the morning practice. And then the coach will like pull them aside and, and, and we'll tell them, you know, you, 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 you got the call, you're called up and, uh, you know, this is when you have to report. So, you know, you, or whatever. And, and that was the situation with me. Right. So it was, it was after a regular practice, Randy Cunnyworth was my coach and I'll never really forget the way he said it. I thought I was in trouble 
because you like it's not uncommon for a fourth liner, you know, fifth, sixth defenseman to have to do extra stuff after practice. So I didn't think it was too weird that he was calling me over. But then as the closer I got, the weirder he got. And I'm just like, what's going on here? This doesn't really seem right. <laughs> yeah. And he was just kind of like, he was leaning on a stick like this, like, you know, coaches do when they're watching. And he was just like, looking me straight in the eye. And he's like, <laughs> I'll never forget the way he said it. Oh, it was hilarious. Just listen to this. So he, the way that he said it is he goes, he goes, Mac, you got the call. You're going to the show just with this big grin nice. on his face, right? <laughs> nice. So wow. it was awesome, you know? Like, I, yeah. I, I jumped off the ice right away, you know, called my family, called my mom, told her, you know, that I got called up. You know, she was kind of like, well, you know, who, who are you playing against? And I'm like, it's Toronto. It's yeah. going to be this Saturday, yeah. hot Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, right? Yeah. Like, what we all dream about as kids to be a part of right and mm -hmm. you know so to be told that it's it, it's such a great feeling guys and like it's it, you know like it really is it, it sounds cliche because it's a cliche but but it really is a dream yeah. come true right for sure and yeah. um and yeah so so when the game actually happened you know like you we went to uh, the, it was just buffalo to toronto so it wasn't like we, we we flew there like it was it was a really nice chartered bus that we took up the the the, the qew yeah. and uh you know we stayed at the weston harbor castle uh which is which was right by the air canada center that's what the arena was called at the time now it's a scotia bank arena and uh my roommate was curtis brown he was a really good veteran kind of like you know kept me calm and stuff and and uh and yeah, we, we, we got there in the morning, checked into the hotel, you know, had our meals, um, pregame nap, uh, went, went to the rink and, um, we ended up losing the game. Um, I got, you know, two or three minutes of ice time, but you know, I got out there, man. And that's, yeah. and that's, and for me, it was, that's, that's, that's what I wanted to accomplish. Like, that's what I wanted to be a part of. And, um, and so sure. to get a chance to do that was priceless. You'll have those two or three minutes the rest of your life. So yeah, 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 exactly for sure. And that just kind of leads into my next question here too. Like, just like looking back at that day now, like what, like if you had to choose one thing you remember most, or just one thing you take with you every day from that day, like what, what do you remember most? Um, I would probably have to say uh, how loud it was for the national anthem, and the reason for that is because this was at the time when the U.S. decided that they were going to invade Iraq. Okay, so I don't know. You guys are really oh, young, right? So yeah. <laughs> what happened was Canada, we decided that we weren't going to support them on that, right? Like there was a lot of countries that didn't support the U.S. So as a result, the weekend before that in Montreal, the U.S. anthem actually got booed, right? And like you mm. can't do that, right? And there was, you know, CBC was on it all week. And then, and then boom, there's the weekend that I get called up in the Toronto game. So what they did was to try to make up for the Montreal fans booing the, the U.S. anthem, it was extra loud in the Air Canada Center. Just happened to be McMorrow's first NHL game. So, <laughs> so they're going, the crowd's going berserk for the U.S. anthem. And then yeah. the Canadian anthem comes on and they're just going berserk because they want it to be even louder than the U.S. one. Yeah. Here I am standing there all nervous, just yeah. don't even know what to do with myself. So... I'll never forget how loud it was, man. Like that, that's the one takeaway for sure. Were you after, able to, were you able to go get a beer after the game and celebrate it a little um, bit or I no? Mean, I had like, I had like 25 family members at the game and stuff. Um, but, but yeah. the team was leaving right after. So, so we were gone mm -hmm. right after. So I, we didn't, 
kind of stick around. Like, like you see your people in the, like, you know, where all the players meet their families and stuff. Like I saw everyone mm. there, but then we were back to Buffalo. So yeah, but it was just gotcha. good to see everyone for a few minutes after the game. For sure. Yeah. That would have been yeah, an incredible sure. day. Uh, the, oh, the, yeah. next, the next three years after that, uh, you were with Rochester and the HL there, uh, still in the Buffalo organization. Just kind of talk about what those three years were for you. Or did you ever hear about any potential close call-ups again? Or uh, just what did you take away most from those three years and kind of build, building your game there? Yeah, for sure. Well, the, 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 the unique thing is that, you know, you, it, when you're looking at those years, the 0405 season was the lockout season, right? So there was no NHL that year. And then the year after that was my last year, my fourth year with Rochester. That's when all the rules changed. And like, so what happened was there was like 20 penalties a game. Like that was when they, they changed the rules where before you used to be able to hook a guy a little bit, you know, as long as you weren't bothering him too much, the ref wouldn't call it. But now as soon as you make contact with your stick on the, jer- on the jersey or anything, boom, it's, it, it's, it's obstruction. It, it's a penalty right away. The game yeah. changed. Um, so for the tough guy, that was when a, a couple other things happened too. Like they, they made it mandatory visors in the AHL and, NH, uh-huh. and NHL. That, that's when they started grandfathering the yeah. visor thing in where any of the new players going into the NHL had to wear a visor and everyone in the AHL had to wear a visor. So right away, you got guys like me and Brandon Sugden are, are like, okay, so we have to fight each other with visors on now and we're going to yeah. hurt our hand. You know what I mean? So like yeah. they kept making more and more rules to and you couldn't it, take your you couldn't take your helmet off right like that was a rule yeah too. exactly so yeah. so they were just making it harder to do the job and and as a result you know that got a got couple guys to drop out and you know and then it was like a, a snowball effect but to be honest with you the third year um the 0405 season that year was my best year um you know i i, I put up small numbers I was the most improved player on the Rochester Americans. So um, yeah. I, I won that award. Yeah, it was a great year for me. Obviously, if you're winning most improved, yeah, you're having a good year, man. Because yeah, because to get that award, they all have to agree with it. So everyone had to say, I think McMorrow's improved the most this year, right? For sure. And for yeah. an AHL club to do that and and to acknowledge that. Like, like you have to be grateful. So I had a great season that year. I really wish there was an NHL that year because I'm yeah. telling you, man, I was the most improved guy on the NHL. <laughs> you would have yeah. been up there. I, yeah. I, I think I finished that year with 38 majors, like second, second or third to McGratton. And, um, you know, I, I definitely would have got called up that year, I believe. You know, yeah. I, I had a ton of confidence. Buffalo was very happy with me. Like, I believe maybe I would have got about 10 or 20 games that year. Yeah, I'm that telling you, awesome. man, I was on yeah. fire. Like, yeah. you see my numbers before that year, and then you see yeah. me putting up the three and three, right? Yeah, so, three and three. You know, like, I did improve, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, um, and, and I was loving it. I was loving the city. I was loving the team. You know, like, my, my personal life was going well. Like, like every, when everything works out, like, like, look good, feel good, play good, right? That's you hear it. that saying all the time, yeah. right? When everything yeah. works out. So, um, I believe that year would have been a lot of call-ups, boys. And then the following season, um, that was the year that I, I, I got in all those preseason games. And it was me and Paul Gosted that mm. were the last cuts that season um, in training camp. We made mm. it right to the end, man. And um, they were, they were, I remember my year in my meeting getting sent down. They're just like, we're going to see you really soon. This is yeah. just a numbers thing. You had a great camp. 
you know, we'll see you right back up here. And, you know, obviously it didn't happen, but, but yeah. at that time, uh, like I was, I was going towards that, that path. Yeah. That 04, 05 season, you mentioned three goals, three assists. Do you remember the first uh, professional goal that year? And can you um, describe the play? I can't describe the play. I just, I just remember that it was against Syracuse. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, well, we'll take it. Yeah. You're yeah. Putting, a, putting up the points that year. Um, we're going to get back to the, we're going to back to the LNAH and then you, so you went two years there. That's the Quebec league. And then you played another year in Rockford in the AHL, but uh, 2010, you went over to Europe and your life kind of, your life kind of turned that, that year a little bit. And I don't know how much you want to talk about it or how much you're willing to talk about, it, but I think it's an important part, uh, important part of your story. And I, I really want our listeners to hear. So can you give us a little breakdown on what went down in 2010? 100%. So, awesome. so yeah. And like, and like, obviously guys, like you see me smiling about it now, right. But it, it actually, it actually took me a few years to be able to even talk about it. Um, it, it was a very, very disappointing, upsetting time in my life. Um, what happened was towards the end of that season, about two, three weeks left in the season when I was playing for Belfast Giants, um, I got a call from a lawyer saying that I was indicted as part of a marijuana conspiracy case that was based in Rochester, New York. So how it works in the States with the conspiracy cases is you need more than one person to testify that someone was part of a conspiracy. So what happened with me was a couple of my old buddies involved my name in a, in a dry conspiracy case, something that they said that had happened years ago, but they were putting together an investigation on it. And I was kind of strung along by my lawyer saying, you know what? This is going to go away. You're going to get a probation sentence. All you need to do is just come back in voluntarily and, and, and face the music. So that's what I did. I came back in. I faced the music. Um, they, my lawyer pretty much said that it was a publicity stunt just to kind of hang on and that he'd get things kind of dropped and things would go away. Um, you know, time passes, time passes, and it goes from it's not going to get dropped, but it's just going to be probation. You're not going to go to jail. This is just the, the way that we have to do it. And, right. you know, my, me and my family were convinced that I was going um, the right path to kind of sort this out. Um, I, was, I was forced to sign something that I didn't want to sign, but I was told that, that this is a, a plea agreement I'm talking about. I was told that it was in my best interest to do this um, for me to be able to get myself out of, out of this mess that I was in. And long and behold, when it came down to, to, the, to the sentencing, um, the, the judge just shocked everybody and threw out a 24-month sentence. And, and to my despise, um, I wasn't able to prepare for it at all. Um, usually someone in my situation that may know that they're going to face a little bit of time um, their lawyer is able to negotiate a self-surrender. So what that is, is, you know, after you get sentenced, you're able to go home for about 30 days, get your affairs together, you know, sort out your family issues. Your family is able to drive you to the facility. You know, these right. are people that have no violence and no weapons in their case, like, like mine was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wasn't able to do that because my lawyer was pretty much making me believe that I wasn't going to do time. So when the time came that I got it, you know, um, it was okay. Um, this is the sentence. And then it's like, okay, see you later, sheriff. You know what I mean? That's it. Jeez. Show's over. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. So, so I was, it, it was, it was a shock to the system. 
Um, I was engaged at the time. So my whole fiance's family was in the courtroom. I had my whole family in the courtroom. There was a big party planned in Toronto that night because everyone was just convinced that everything was going to be fine. And I was coming home that day. Like, like this was a shocker guys. Right. So, so like, you know, um, uh, luckily for me, I had incredible support, not only from the hockey team that I was playing for, the Marquis de Jonquière, because this was, this was 2012 to 2014 timeline that we're talking about. So this is when I was playing for the Marquis. And, you know, Dean Lidigascos, um and everyone in that organization was so supportive. My family was so supportive. Um, I, I thought that because I'm in this situation, what do I do now? I got to make the best of the time, right? So, mm-hmm. so what I did was, you know, you guys know, like knowing the OHL guys that sometimes, you know, things get so serious with the hockey that these guys aren't really finishing their high school, right? And, you know, that was the situation with me. I never finished. I was two credits short of finishing my high school, right? I played for those six teams, kept getting traded and going to different schools and stuff so Mm -hmm. you know i missed out graduating on time and so while i was there um you better believe that i got my education when i was at that institution right and so i got my ged um and then i ended up teaching the ged and then i ended up teaching a bunch of exercise classes um i took a bunch of business classes i kind of tried to i i was able to figure out what my values were um what the true meaning of success was just by these paradigm thinking classes that i was taking and mm-hmm. and you know i was able to kind of improve myself as a person and learn who sean mcmorrow was and when when the time was over which was the 20 months which is a very long time guys yeah. um i was able to to jump right back into hockey um, and I just remember just being thankful for so much more and, yeah. you know, and I had this time to kind of be able to catch up on things that I was behind in and like education wise. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, so I really tried to make the best of the time and get through it. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without a strong, uh, family support. That's amazing. Cause a, a lot of, a lot of people in your situation wouldn't have been able to take that time to, to better themselves. They might've, might've, uh, like their life might have not gone in the right direction after something like that. So that's, uh, that's amazing. You're able to better yourself and, and just uh, learn all those things while you're, while you're serving that time. So congrats. That's an amazing story. I don't even really know, know where to, where to go from there. Uh, <laughs> no, I, yeah. no, I, well, just, I mean, it's, it's, it's very unique. Yeah. It's something that I plan on. I mean, guys, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be like, like a motivational speaker. Right. So like, I have a story to tell. I have, I have a big message to, to, to send, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so this type of stuff, um, I find is very important because mm-hmm. being an athlete, you know, people resonate with athletes, right? Like they, they want to at least sure. give them a chance to hear what they have to say. Right. Yeah. So I'm using my platform as a former professional athlete someone that's gone through a very unique experience. Mm-hmm. Now, why did it happen? How can you avoid it? And how can you never have to be a part of it will be major parts of the motivational speech, right? Yeah. So trust me, it's very unique. It's, it, it's emotional. It is, it, it is questionable, like how to, where to go from it in an interview, but, but you've done yeah. such a great job so far, well, buddy. I have a lot I, of confidence. in you. I, I know you have a question, Matt, but I just want to ask too, what would you, what's like one tip you would maybe give to a younger guy that's maybe in a situation that, that you were in in the time and maybe help them get out of it? Well, here's the thing. Um, you have to get different opinions with me. We thought because we went with the guy that 
was almost the most expensive that that was supposed to have this great reputation we put all our trust into him if an athlete's ever in trouble his fault or not his fault he needs to get a couple different opinions because not everybody has your best interest in mind right so that's the the the, the one the one advice i would give secondly you just gotta you just gotta walk a very narrow path if mm-hmm. if you're not able to introduce some of your friends to your parents then then you shouldn't be hanging around them so the the biggest thing is not being around the type of people to get you involved with anything negative and then mm-hmm. secondly is if it does happen your fault or not you got to get multiple opinions on it not just go down one route yeah and obviously uh, you made the best of the situation there but just on, on like the down days like in the lowest of the low moments how do you how do you kind of pull through those moments and just kind of keep a good head on your shoulders cuz i'm sure there would have been days where it was just you know, just very tough uh, emotionally and all that. Mentally. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and like I said, like, like, like with family support and, and, and support from friends and loved ones and stuff, um, it, it really helps to kind of get through anything in life. Um, my, my motivation was just the fact that like, I was so passionate about playing hockey and just so passionate about like returning to what everything that I had before that, that I was just so tunnel visioned on that. And and I wasn't really going to let anything interrupt that. Right. So, um, I, I'm, I'm just thankful for the support and, you know, I'm a dreamer. I always, I always dream big and, you know, it's always good to dream big because we, we all deserve the, 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 like the best. So we got to aim for it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. What's well, just maybe to yeah. go on the, the lighter side for a second. What is there like, maybe what's like the stupidest question you've been asked about, about when you were serving time? Like, do people come up to you and just like ask you about jail? That it's just like the stupidest question ever. Well, 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 well this is the thing. Like, like I, like I, like I mentioned, um, you know, I'm smiling about it now, but like, it took me a while to be able to even talk about it. Right. right so like, yeah. so like, so you have to imagine this is, we're in 2021. We're, we're, we're really close to 2022. This was between 2012 and 2014. Right. So it, it was a little while ago that it happened. Um, the first few years, I wasn't willing to talk about it at all. I wasn't ready to talk about it. I hadn't really yeah. accepted it yet for myself, but then now that I have these career aspirations that I want to be this motivational speaker, I got to have this part of my story. So now I'm talking about it. Right. But it's more kind of controlled, like how we are, like we're doing a show. This was a big, the big event that happened in my life. We got to talk about it. Mm -hmm. If I want to be a motivational speaker, I have to own what happened in my life in order to explain it and be able to, for it to help other people. Right. So, so now I'm, I'm talking about it more, but it's with people that are that are well-minded just like yourselves it's not usually random people just because it happened so long ago it's not right. really yeah. a, a a topic of conversation amongst my peers right right what did yeah. your uh what i'm an, i'm old man you guys know how old i am <laughs> <laughs> i'm 39 years old brother oh, oh you're not you're not, not old, old, old you're not old i could yet. be both your dads man <laughs> i was just gonna <laughs> Uh, ask uh, what like what was the day to day like for you while you were in jail? Like, what were you able to kind of do to just to kind of keep yourself busy and just kind of like keep things moving forward for yourself and keeping your mind busy? Well, um, I because it was because it was a conspiracy marijuana case, right? Um, that means that you know there there was no violence, there was no weapons. 
there was no weed. It was just, it was a conspiracy case, right? So, so I, the, my point is, is that I was sent to the lowest of the low security. Okay. So these places are for, for mostly for white collar crimes or conspiracy cases like myself. Right. Yeah. And um, so it's a lot of guys that kind of cheated on their taxes, you know, credit card, credit card fraud. Um, you know, taxes was a big one because it was federal, right? Mm -hmm. And um, just just guys doing white collar crimes, man, that just messed up and and stuff. And so with the with the lows, um, there there was there wasn't even a fence. Like it was called a camp, so there wasn't even a there wasn't even a fence there because it was that low of security. Uh, we were able to walk around a lot. There was it was like I don't know if you guys have seen like Orange is the New Black, where it's mm -hmm. like you know they're not really in cells. It's like these right. like mini walls that kind of separate them, and there's bunk beds and stuff. Okay. That was kind of the setup. So it was like a okay. bunk bed setup. It, there wasn't like a cell thing. Um, I I may be seen. I was there. I, I was there for you know close to a year and a half, and and you know I um, maybe seen a handful of fights. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's different different than the stuff you see on TV. Like like um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the expression um, club fed. Um, like it's like club med is like a vacation thing and club fed is what they usually call the feds in the States, especially the lows, because okay. it's, they say it's like a vacation instead of like going to jail. Right. So, um, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't any violence in there. Um, there was a lot of opportunity for exercise and sports that they had there. Um, like I said, I was able to get my GED. Um, so of course, like, you know, for someone that hasn't been to school for a while, that, that's not a very easy exam. So you got to prepare for that. So, you know, there was a lot of studying and reading and, you know, I was taking a bunch of other classes and I, I kind of made a routine where I'd, I'd work on my body and I'd work on my mind and I'm just trying to improve myself. And, you know, the, 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 the favorite class that I took was a class called paradigm thinking. And this was a class that, that kind of taught you to be in the here and now, um, it taught you to that through exercises and instruction, you kind of learn what your top values are, um, what, what, what the real definition of success. A lot of people think success is a fast car and a, and a pretty blonde wife, but, but, <laughs> but, but really it's, it, it's living out your true values, living in the here and now and being present. You know, that's what success is because that's when you're going to get it. Right. So sure. I, I learned all about that. And, and like I said, I learned, you know, who Sean McMorrow was and, and I, I tried to do my best to make myself a better person. Man, you got this motivational thing down. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm, fi I'm fired hey, up. I'm <laughs> well, you know what? My, my first one actually starts in 10 minutes. So I'm just joking. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to go make myself a better person after this. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I, mean, right. I, I hear you, man. And um, yeah. Yeah. I know I'm blabbering on a lot. So I apologize. That's right. no, that's, we appreciate it. And we, we love that yeah. you're telling your story. And obviously you're more, more than willing to tell your story now. But you, you kind of mentioned before that after your time there, there was kind of a whatever, two, three years there where it wasn't something that you were really open to talking about. So, uh, like kind of like after your, your time was done, like where, like, where did you want to be headed next in, in life? Like what were your kind of like the main, the main purpose that you wanted to carry out? Cause obviously that wasn't something that you were really, uh, really, um, willing to kind of, I don't know, I guess, I guess move forward with right away. Cause you didn't, it wasn't something you wanted to talk about necessarily. So I'm just kind of wondering like, wait, like once you were, once you were done, what kind of direction did you want to go and what purpose did you kind of want to have? So, so, so when I was done, I was 32, 32 years old. So I knew that I wanted to play at least a few more seasons of pro hockey. Right. 
And so I was in very close contact, like I said, with the team that I was on before I left. And so the plan was to, to you know, like I got, like it was about February when I came back, which is, you know, usually about, you know, three quarters into the season, um, you know, before the playoffs and all that. So I remember going up for a weekend, seeing my team and just letting everyone know that I was coming like in training camp to come back. So that's what I ended up doing. I, I prepared, got back on the ice. I hadn't been on for a while. Right. And, um, and so I just kind of prepared for that hockey season. And that was what was on my mind to just be able to return to hockey. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't really want to talk about what happened. Just, just wanted to go return to hockey and be a hockey player again and, and, and do all that stuff. Right. Once I kind of hung the skates up, then that was when it all came together with me wanting to do the TV broadcast thing, me wanting to do, be the motivational speaker. Okay. Well, if I'm going to do this, if I want to be a character on TV, I'm going to have to own what happened to me and talk about it freely and use it to help people. That's, sure. that's my choice. That's right. Yeah. So, 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 so that's when that came about, but the first couple of years, buddy, you're absolutely right. I just wanted to play. I just wanted to play again. Wasn't really yeah. worried about all this stuff that I got going on now. I just wanted to be simply a hockey player again, like I've been since I was 20 um, professionally. For sure. I, I feel like we, we might have to do a part two of this sometime because we've been, we've been going long, which has been awesome. I, I, I love everything that's been talked about. But uh, hey man, part- I will officially say right now, I will, I will do a part two with you guys. Awesome. I, awesome. I will. I awesome. will do it. Awesome. I, I'm having a lot of fun, man. Yeah, parts of seven seasons in the LNAH, which is which is insane. And one of those seasons, maybe just quickly, let's talk about that season because it, it's got to be some kind of record. 48 games played, 527 penalty minutes. Uh, that was in that was in 07-08 with uh, some French name I'm not going to try to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> St. Hyacinth Top Design. In, in French, it's saint Saint. Yeah, Saint right. Saint. There we go. I, I probably would have nailed that if I tried, but <laughs> five no way. five hundred and twenty seven penalty minutes. Is that I think well, I I mean I should find out the average, but that's gotta be over ten minutes a game, is it not? Yeah, yeah. It's um <laughs> it's it's man like that okay, so there, I had a couple go arounds with the league, right? So so that yeah. was the first that was the first one. At that time, the league was a lot different than how it is now, okay? And um, it was very wild. I was on the top team in the league. Like we finished first place in the regular season. So we had like, you know, like the team that was kind of the guys were getting paid a lot of money and we were kind of competing with the team that's called the Chiefs, which is usually the, the popular team that what, what, what the movie is based after. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's called Le Chiefs. L-E-S Space Chiefs. Okay. And, no. and it's a documentary on a team in this league. I think it's like the 2000-2001 the season where they win the cup and they kind of follow around the tough guys. And you guys ever get a chance, watch that movie. Okay. It gives you an idea of what yeah. the league was like when I first got to it that yeah. season. Okay. So it was, it was, there was five fighters on our team. I was, the, the, we were all rated one through five. Okay, so I was the number one, the, 
this big really? guy coming in from the AHL, <laughs> Mick Morrow, he's our number one, and, <laughs> right? And then, you know, Ryan James Hand was my number two, who, who was recently on my show. And like, you know, we had our five guys, right? And so did all the other teams. So, yeah. so for me, I was getting paid a lot of money um, to fight the number ones on all the other teams, right? Who, so, who's making these rankings? Like your GM? Who's making or? the rankings? Yeah. Um, it would be like... I guess, like, I always thought that they secretly betted on the fight, at least for the number ones, because it was just set up to, to, like, okay, so I'll give you guys an example of what a pregame meeting would be for the tough guys in that league. Okay, okay. We get called into the coach's room, right? Like, you know, there'd be, like, the power play guys would have their power play meeting, PK guys have their PK meeting. Then the tough guys come in. There's, like, four to six of us will be in the room, and they'd be like, okay, so McMorrow, uh, you're fighting Basse, Hand, you're fighting Cote, you know, Termini, you're fighting this guy. And, and so everybody knows who their guy is, right? Oh, so man. now remember, the home team always gets last change, yeah. right? So if one of those guys were, were, were thrown out, uh, like on the ice, but yeah. like if the coach put yeah. them out, like on the visiting yeah. team, then the home team would throw out the guy that was told that they were fighting that guy. <laughs> no he would way. go out. If it wasn't like that, it would be all guys starting the game. Right? Wow. Yeah. And then it yeah. would just be like from the head nods of the coaches, it would be who was going first. <laughs> Man, I, I think you're you know right. I, I bet 100% that they were, they were gambling <laughs> <Yeah>. on that. <laughs> That's what I always thought, man. There was a lot of cash. There was like, I mean, yeah. was, like, like I've talked to guys that played in the league and, you know, sometimes we would like kind of have feelings that we kind of feel bad that we're talking about it like this, but this happened like, this is like 10, 15 years ago. It yeah. happened. The league's different now. The, the league used to be involved with the Hells Angels. Everyone used to get paid in cash and envelopes. <laughs> wow. Guys wouldn't know what to do. Like they would get yeah. paid before practice. Like, let's say you're getting paid $1,000 a game, right? Okay. Yeah. You're getting $2,000 in an envelope. Where are you going to put the $2,000? Yeah. You're getting it yeah. before practice. So where are you going to put it? Yeah. Are you going to put it in your car? Are you going to hide it in your, in your stall? Where are you going to put it? Yeah. So wow. Guys would just keep <laughs> it on them. Guys, goalies for, put their pads. For practice. Like, it was crazy. <laughs> like, it, it was on a whole different level of guys going to the KHL in uh-huh. Russia getting paid in cash. I taught the guys like Freddie Brathwaite, the guy's making a million dollars a season. Yeah. You know what I mean? His paychecks yeah. are every month. So it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? He's cause it's wow. only a seven month season. It's like $200,000. Where are you going to put that money, man? Yeah. Where are you gonna <laughs> put it? He would put it right in his pads, man. He keep it right on him. It's not going yeah. anywhere. Right. That's hilarious. So, it would, it would, or sorry to cut you off, but I was no, just no, going to no say it would, it would make sense that they were maybe betting on this because all, a lot of the YouTube fights I saw, the, the D would, or the face-off would be in the D zone, gloves, helmet would come off, you guys would just skate to center ice, the music yeah, would no, change. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it was, it all, music it, would change. Yeah, every, like, I, every tough guy would usually have their own song. Really? <laughs> yeah, like for their home games, right? Yeah. Like, like, so, so, for example, when I was on the marquee, my song was shipping off the Boston. I heard that right? on some YouTube. Yeah. Same as my podcast. That's my podcast song. Well, nice. you know, we're only playing a certain amount of it so we don't get in trouble copyright. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, that pumps me up. So they would play it. Like as soon as, as, soon as the puck yeah. would drop, they would play that song. And then, you know, it would come off. I do the spin. And yeah. The whole show, <laughs> I love the spin. Right? 
<laughs> Looks like you're spiking a, f- a football. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's that's yeah, man, awesome. It, it's it's very unique. Um, the fans adore the tough guys. The tough guys are like novelties in the towns. Like like John Nasty Marasty, mm-hmm. that guy is like he is could he still have a going? statue. Uh, 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 what's that? Is he still going? By the way, is he still playing? They're gonna they're they're flying him in for specific weekends. I think this season. I I read no something, but I'll have to ask him. But yeah. he's he's doing a TV series in Sudbury, but I can't say the name of it because it hasn't been released yet. But 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 there's a, a bunch of guys that are that are doing a really cool spinoff show in cool. Sudbury right now. Cool. Um, so that's going to be really interesting for all yeah. hockey lovers like like us three. Yeah. Um, I know Morasti's there. Terry Ryan's there. My buddy Jonathan Diaby, he's there from the Quebec League. Yeah. Um, there's some cool stuff going on in Sudbury, man. That that's cool. Uh, news pretty soon. Cool. I I think we'll we'll maybe we'll maybe cut it off there because we we definitely can do this again sometime. Maybe I just more. Just maybe. To, okay, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Anytime, guys. Like you okay. guys are awesome, and like we're all we're all doing <laughs> this for experience. Yeah. Too, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's amazing. I I feel like your your life could be uh could be a movie at some point, and that would be a pretty yeah. pretty amazing movie. Hey man, if you want to produce it, let's get this. <laughs> well, well, I don't know how to do that, but I'll. Uh, I'll I know. Keep I'm my, I'll keep my eyes open. But I hear you. I, I appreciate yeah. it. I'm yeah. still working on the um, the length of time that I'm talking and and the cutting right. off. So I no, so I apologize. No, you're good. You're good. I apologize good. for that. You're guys. good. This this is I fun. Can't. I appreciate you doing this. And where can uh, where can people find you? You got your Instagram, Twitter, and then yeah, your, your so, podcast. Um, I'm I'm Sheriff McMorrow. At Sheriff McMorrow on all platforms, like yep. on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Sheriff Sean McMorrow, um, the at the Sheriff Podcast yep. um, on all platforms as well. Yeah, uh, you could find us on a- anywhere where they play podcasts: um, Spotify, Apple Music, Apple yep. Podcasts, Anchor. It's uh, at the Sheriff Podcast. Love it. Love Subscribe it. to that. And Theo Fleury was last guest, so I haven't listened to that one yet. I will though. That was. Uh, I'm sure that that'll be a good one. Oh, yes. It was uh, Theo's great guy. Very exciting episode. You, you'll love it. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, uh, Sheriff. And it was, it was nice meeting you. It was nice meeting you guys too, man. Thank you All very right. much for having Thank me. you. We'll see you. Huge thank you to Sean McMorrow for joining the boys on episode 190. That episode was brought to you by our friends at 519 Tech Services. Your phone battery dead before the end of the day? Having to recharge it a couple times a day? 519 Tech Services is located in Elmira, Ontario, now offers extended capacity battery replacements for most iPhones. They offer fast and affordable repairs for all makes and models of phones, tablets, and computers. Diagnostic testing is always free. All repairs are covered by a lifetime warranty against defects. Visit 519techservices.ca. Or call Peter at 226-444-9927 to get a free quote. If you're not in the water of the region, they offer mail-in repairs too. Just fill out the form on the website and mention Chump Talk Podcast for 10% off that already super cheap. Bill, thank you to 519 Tech Services. Not Sex Services, Tech Services. I better not screw that one up. <laughs> no, and, that's uh, a bad one to <laughs> And thank you to Sean McMorrow for joining the boys. Uh, yeah, that's... that's uh, Yes, tech services. It confirmed tech. is tech confirmed. with it with a T. Um, yeah, great interview. Um, the Leafs swept California. Uh, I want to talk about one thing. Do you think so? There was an interview Morgan Riley had after uh, I think after their second game on the California road trips. So they started in LA, beat LA, and then went to San Jose, beat San Jose, and then on just on Sunday night they beat Anaheim. So they swept the California road trip. Leafs. I just always 
when I think of them going to California, I think of them like hopefully getting one out of three. Like even if those teams haven't been that That's good. how it used to be, yeah. Yeah, but even even when they weren't that good in the last like two, three years, obviously they didn't go last year, but I just think of that trip not being good because obviously they got the time change. Um, but Morgan Riley, after the second game in San Jose, he said they haven't been like going out to the beach or haven't been partying in LA. They've just been like all business. Do you think he's just saying that? Like, I, I feel like mm. when they go to LA, they're, they're getting it after it a little bit. And I think they should, I, I'd be disappointed almost if they didn't. That's yeah. That's a great question. I feel like for sure there's more than what Morgan Riley's letting off, but then again, maybe it's not what like the standard LA road trip is for the Leafs. Usually maybe, maybe it is more business than usual, but there's no way they're in LA and not at least enjoying a night or two. Like they're, they're in California for almost a week playing those three different teams so but you know what maybe it showed maybe uh morgan was right there maybe it was all business because they came out of that road trip six points out of six and honestly all those wins the leafs look really good especially uh sunday night they're against saying what a way to to finish off the road trip there and mm-hmm. man i just they- you talk about this every week kind of but just like man are the leafs like legit you know like i just a part of me doesn't even want to get into it because I don't really care what they do until they win a playoff round, but yeah, no, we we need to remember that there's there at some point they're probably going to play ten games and lose seven of them and look horrible, and then we just gotta we just gotta remember that it's it's fine. But as of right now, we can talk about them doing good because it does matter, and they're they're mm-hmm. winning games. They're winning games. They should. They're winning games where they don't necessarily play well, but they still get the two points, and then they're winning like two one, three nothing. Jack Campbell's been lights out, but as of right now. Um, recording this Monday afternoon, Monday night, uh, the Leafs sit atop the Atlantic Conference with 33 points. They do have two games in hand, or, or Florida has two games in hand on them, but they're two points behind them. So Leafs sitting at top of the league. Um, Boston's down in fifth. They have not yeah. had a great start. They've only played 18 games, and they're 11-7. and seven, So And Marshawn's out for three games for slew footing now. Good, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so I don't know. I, I think, uh, I mean the Leafs in my mind were locked to make the playoffs anyways, but it's, it's nice to see them just kind of working their way through the whole league. It's not just the North division. Like it was last year. They're just beating all kinds of different teams. They're beating the bad teams. They're beating good teams right now. Like Anaheim's a team that's on a roll and they, they, yeah, uh, has been really good and they beat them pretty easily last night. So it's been good to see, uh, anything. Well, I want to talk about the blue Jays. We got to talk about the blue Jays quick. Do you want to, do you have some thoughts you want to get off your chest first? Like, obviously, the news broke an hour before we started recording Robbie Ray, and we knew yesterday Marcus Simeon are not Blue Jays anymore. That was kind of expected, but what do you think? Yeah, so, um, well, I want to start off with this question that I've seen on Twitter. It actually comes from DSAP Dimes' burner account. He It was just the most simple poll ever, but would you rather, because the deals are pretty similar. The, the Jays signed Kevin Gosman five years, 110 yeah. mil. And then Robbie Ray signed for five years, 115 mil. So only five more mil over five years. Would you rather Kevin Gosman or Robbie Ray as a Blue Jay? Because it is kind of interesting that they didn't make that deal happen with Robbie Ray, considering what they gave Kevin Gosman. Yeah. Pretty much the same deal that Robbie Ray got. Yeah. Ray was, I think, a little bit more. Um, Five, Five million more over five years. So he's only making one mil more per year. Right. So yeah, it uh, it's not a huge difference at all. You're no, right. it's not. Um, it's pretty well the same contract. Yeah, I would have been, I would have been happy with either one of them getting that contract. But with Robbie Ray, you got to remember his track record 
Yeah. He's never had a he's never had a season anywhere close to the season he had last year. And a lot of uh, casual Blue Jay fans won't ever think about this. I happen to be not one of the casual Blue Jay fans. I'm quite knowledgeable of the Toronto Blue Jays, in my opinion. Um, that was that was sarcastic, of course. But Pete Walker is one of the best pitching coaches in the league, if not the best. And he's shown it time and time in his career. Pitchers will come to the Jays and they leave better pitchers. Like Steven Matz had a breakout year last year. Robbie Ray yeah. had a breakout year, year last year. Uh, guys have come out from the minor leagues, bullpen guys too, and Pete Walker can work with them. And Pete Walker can can change people's careers the way the way he he uh, he runs his his pitching staff. So Kevin Gosman, I think just I think it's a little safer one than Robbie Ray. Yeah, like, I agree. Nothing, just, the similarities are crazy. Like they're both thirty years old. Mm-hmm. Osman, he was with the Orioles way back in the day. He did have some good seasons, but he also he was also kind of crappy in some as well. So it just I was like just kind of comparing their uh, like their kind of track history or whatever today, and it's just crazy how many similarities they have between the two of them. Like neither of them were necessarily studs in their like mid twenties in the league or anything like that. But now both of them just had career years. They're both thirty years old. And they basically signed for the same dollar amount, just uh, obviously Robbie Ray moves on. But um, on the Marcus Simeon thing, though, uh, we, we kind of talked about it before the epi. Marcus Simeon would have been a perfect guy to sign for another two, three years. But to give him 25 mil per year for another seven years, definitely uh, wouldn't play in favor of the Jays, especially when you look at the position players that they eventually will have to pl- eventually will have to pay likely uh, mid 30 to high 30 million per year potentially so uh it's it sucks to see marcus Simeon move on because he was he was a great blue jay for that one year uh they had him oh i gotta find the stat i seen but anyway what, what are your thoughts on the marcus Simeon contract with the texas rangers followed by Corey seager signing for 10 years at 325 million yeah, i was i was really confused by the signing of him going to texas because they're just not a good team Obviously, they made some huge changes in the last three days that have made them clearly a way better team than than they were two days ago. But Marcus Simeon wanted to be a shortstop. Like that was a that was a main thing. Even even last year when he was signing with the Jays, it was only a one year deal because he was told he wasn't going to be able to play shortstop because Boba Shett was there, obviously. So I thought, okay, he really cares about shortstop that much, so he'll go to Texas and play shortstop. But then they signed Corey Seager today, and Corey Seager is going to be playing shortstop over Trevor Simeon. So. Marcus Simeon, sorry, Trevor Simeon, football hmm. uh, quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Um, Marcus Simeon's going to be playing second for Texas. They don't have a great pitching staff. They they have signed a bunch of players. I just don't think Texas is a great team, even with those, um, even this, even with those moves. They're obviously going to improve, but I just, uh, yeah, I don't quite, uh, I don't quite understand that one. But I'm happy the Jays didn't give him that contract. The Jays gave him that contract. I don't think it's going to work out in the in say in three, four years, I, I was hoping that they'd be able to work together a two to three year contract with them because he's an elite player and he, he helped them turn their season around last year when it, when it wasn't looking so hot and they missed the playoff by half a game or one game, whatever it was by the end. But yeah, I'm, I kind of expected to not see Rob Gray and Trevor Simeon in a Blue Jays uniform next year. And that's what happened. So <laughs> Trevor Simeon, eh? <laughs> oh my gosh. Marcus Simeon, whatever. <laughs> Whatever, man. Maybe I need a little ten minute nap like you had before. Yeah. Honestly it did me wonders like don't do it now, obviously, but no this Oh is no, the, don't. Okay. The kind of the stat that I seen. So between Matt's, Robbie Ray, and Simeon, 
both those guys were getting paid under a combined 30 million total at the Jays last year. With the contracts, those three guys just signed in the last couple of days, $334 million worth. So it just goes to show um, that maybe the Jays are onto something with uh, what Chaparro and Atkins are doing and all the management and kind of doing with their players because that is pretty, pretty incredible to have those three guys. And then you look one year later and uh, their contracts are worth another $300 million. So yeah, I think Chaparro and Atkins still deserve a lot of, a lot of credit and they got, they got a lot of flack from Blue Jay fans when they first came in and the Josh Donaldson and the Marcus Stroman deals going on. They got a lot of flack, but uh, I think they've done a lot of good things and I'm super excited about the Jays. But we'll uh, we'll get more into the Jays as the as the season gets closer. Hopefully get some Jays guests on. Ben Nicholson-Smith, uh, we'll definitely be able to get him on at some point. Uh, we already had him on. That interview never came out. I don't know if you know anything about that, Matt. But, oh, man. Um, we, yeah, we're going there, eh? <laughs> no, it's a... Anything bad that happens, <laughs> jump is a team effort. So I, I take back that yeah. that shot I just threw at you. But we did, Except, we did lose yeah. an interview. We did lose an interview we had with him at some point. But um, we usually save all our football chat for Wednesdays. But I think for the last two three minutes of this episode, I think it's safe to say we can. It's very relevant to our lives as well because yeah. the Carolina Panthers and the Miami Dolphins played on Sunday. Only happens every two to three years. My team obviously being the Dolphins, your team being the Panthers. Um, kind of similar, well, very similar records now. What are the yeah. Panthers? Yeah. Five, and, five and six? Five and seven now. And, so and so are the Dolphins. Yeah, yeah, they would be. Yes, yeah, so we got yeah. the same records now. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious, because if, if you looked at the, if, if you fall in the NFL three weeks ago, Carolina was in a playoff spot and the Dolphins were uh, one and seven or two and seven, three weeks ago. They've gone on a five game winning streak. Um, but why I brought this up, it, it was a very proud moment of uh, proud moment for me of my dad. Um, so Matt gets a text, <laughs> Matt gets a text on Sunday. I wasn't with Matt, but he gets a text um, from an unknown number. So you, you text me. With yeah. That I didn't know. Number. I don't know how I didn't have Greg Zember. I used to, but well, I he, he switched over phones or something. No, he switched his number from his, like that's his cell phones. Now the old landline number, he switched oh. everything over. So that's because I recognize the six or I'm not going to say the number, but I recognize <laughs> the number. That's why I yeah. texted you. Cause it's like, man, I, yeah. I swear I've seen this phone number before. Yeah. So anyways, so, so I get a message from Matt. Do you have this number in your contacts? And just with looking at it, I knew it was my dad. So I, I said, uh, I said, that's my dad. Why? And you're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, why? And then he, he texted me back saying that my dad texted him saying Cam Newton sucks, which is the quarterback for the Panthers that Matt, uh, his Twitter avatar is a picture of him. His Twitter name is something to do with Cam Newton. And uh, just a huge Cam Newton fan. He thought Cam Newton was going to take him to the Super Bowl. So my dad texting you and then you not knowing and then you not knowing who it was that texted you and then you having to text me to find out was just the best sequence that could happen on my Sunday as I was sitting there watching the Dolphins just absolutely dismantle yeah, Cam Newton and the Panthers. Did the, the Dolphins looked like a really good team on Sunday and the Panthers just didn't? No. I mean, uh, Cam's numbers were absolutely brutal. Christian McCaffrey, done for the year. I mean... <laughs> it's hard to find positive things to say about the There's, Panthers. Like, dude, DJ Moore had ago, a big catch. Yeah, DJ Moore had one big catch. <laughs> three weeks ago, I was so just like on the Panthers. You know, they brought back in Cam. 
Is, Dude, uh, not three weeks ago. One week ago. No, three weeks ago. Cam's played their three three games now. I know, but even talking to you last week, you, like the Panthers. Oh, yeah. No, I know, but but after losing to Washington last week, it kind of, you know, your hope loses a little bit. And then when you go out there and lose to the Dolphins and you go a three for 15 in the first half and <laughs> then P.J. Walker comes in to try and level load and then P.J. throws a pick his first drive and then Christian McCaffrey, you find out today or on Monday here, day after the game, that he's out for the year. So the season's a wash for the Panthers. They still, like, technically they still have a shot, but a lot of shit needs to go right for that to happen, and their schedule is not favorable. They play the Falcons, and then their last four games are pretty tough. They got a bye this week, so maybe they, maybe they come out jumping the following game, but, yeah, it's... It's just emotionally, it's not not easy right now. Like, just, it's not. It's tough. Like, another season in the wash. Now the freaking Dolphins of all teams <laughs> yeah. right back in the mix. Like, what are we, uh, do you know the Dolphins, like, next two or three games just out of curiosity? Like, are they winnable yes, games? Yes, very. They have, next week, they have the Giants, and then they have a bye week, and then they have the Jets. But I, I do want to say about the Dolphins, at the start of the year, when we did projections, I mm-hmm. had them over 500, and then they're dog shit at the start of the year, so then I thought they were bad. But maybe that was just the, the start of the season for the Dolphins, because I did have them as an over 500 team. Yeah, and I think that I actually think they are going to be over 500 now. It might be, it might be barely over That's 500. That's a lot of winning, but, yeah. But I, like, they just need to win two games, and then they're 500, and their two next games are the Giants and the Jets. So I think they're going <sighs> to yeah. wow. be 500. And then, and then they have... Um, they have uh, the Saints, which the Saints are pretty up yeah, in the air. I agree with that. That's a one. And and one of, one of the last, I think the Patriots is the last week of the year, and then uh, they have somebody else good. They so they. Well, do they play the Bills yet, or do they played them twice already? I think they played them twice already. Yeah, so it's uh, it's crazy. It's it's crazy. The Dolphins Dude, have a shot, and even if they don't, I you can shut still, down on them like a month ago. Is I. Barely shut down on them. Oh, I you barely did. shut. Oh my I always God. I, screen, I actually screenshotted a text. Okay, whatever, whatever. We're we're going Can long here. It? We gotta. Okay, find it quick. But we're 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 going a little long here. This is. Uh, I'm assuming this was a longer longer episode. We still we're gonna go interview the. Well, I shouldn't. It makes no sense for me to say we're gonna go interview the sheriff now, but we are. And you guys already listened to it, so that was just stupid of me. But do you have the text? Yeah, October seventeenth. What? What did I, I say? Bleeping hate the Dolphins. I hate football. October 17th. <laughs> Delete that. <laughs> oh. I had to screenshot that. Because I knew it would bite you in the ass one day. And I'm sure you didn't think it'd bite you in the ass a month later, but no, if you were smart, you would Are you a really you faithful replied. Dolphins fan? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's I don't a, that might talk. be up for debate wanna, now. You're wearing a Bears hat right now. That's my work hat. I don't care if it gets dirty. Whatever you bought it and you loved it and you wore it for a long time before it was your workout, so right. I don't want to hear it. Um, thank you everybody for listening, though. Another another great episode. If you're if you're still with us, um, subscribe, like, follow us on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get it. Give us that five star rating and even do that little. Uh, I've been hearing it on other podcasts. Um, if you unsubscribe and then resubscribe right after, if I guarantee you, if everybody that is listening to me talk at this point unsubscribed and then resubscribed, it would make our day. It would, it would 
bump us up in the Apple podcast rankings, which is where we gain new listeners. And, and it could be, it's just because how the rankings work. It's such bullshit. Like when a new podcast comes on and they get all their subscribers right away, they go right to the top of the ranks when they're like, they have less. Maybe we just strike a deal with Spotify, like all these other guys. Mm-hmm. See if they want to give us nine mil a year or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. We could, yeah. Let's just we'll call. I'll call up Spotify actually. Yeah, that's why we should f- finish this because I'm going to call Spotify right now. See if they want to throw throw a couple millies at the boys. All right. Well, we'll see you Thursday. Yeah, we'll talk to you Thursday. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>